Hola mundo, me llamo Mary Jane Deer y bienvenidos a Her Story. Now that our introductions are out of the way, happy November to everyone celebrating Dia de los Muertos, All Saints Day, Native American Heritage Month, and to those crazy people who have already started listening to Christmas music. Michael Buble and Mariah Carey don't come out of hibernation until the clock strikes 12 on Thanksgiving anyway. Everyone knows this. It's November, guys. Chill out, find something pumpkin spice, but we'll be okay. Today, we are talking about the soldaderas of the Mexican Revolution. This was another tough one. I feel like I'm just saying that every episode now. Because of poor and scattered record-keeping over the long conflict. Yet it was highly rewarding for me to learn so much about these fierce commanders, Mexico's Daughters of Revolution. Now, I was doing some research, because that's what I do to avoid my Spanish homework, and I stumbled on a Washington Herald news clipping from August 11th, 1911. And I know what you're thinking. Yes, newspapers did exist back then. They were actually thriving. This article entitled, Mexican Rebels Have Girl Leader, we could uh, could probably spend the whole episode on that, but uh, moving along, describes Margarita Neri leading 1,000 mostly indigenous troops into battle, 300 of which were commanded by 18-year-old Esperanza Echevarria. When I remembered to breathe again, I knew we just had to talk about Margarita Neri, Mexico's Joan of Arc, and the other female commanders who fought against attempted U.S. interference and a 30-year dictatorship that came crashing down after a 10-year revolution for the soul of Mexico. Now, obviously, I can't do every woman who fought in the revolution justice in this one podcast, nor can I explain the complexities of the Mexican Revolution in full. If you need to, pause, pull out Google, come back. You know, make yourself some tea while you're at it. It's been a long day. You're doing great. Are you back? That took longer than I thought, but uh, good for you for seeking historical context. We're learning already. For those of you too lazy or loyal to hit pause, the Mexican Revolution began in 1910 as a challenge to the dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz, whose 34-year reign beginning in 1877 violated the Mexican Constitution. This revolution was led by liberals and intellectuals, and the two great figureheads of the movement were Francisco Pancho Villa and Emiliano Zabata. The revolution was a long series of fights and battles all across Mexico between Federalist troops and revolutionaries operating in both traditional armies and guerrilla forces. Enter Margarita Neri. Born in 1865 in Quintana, Mexico, Margarita was the daughter of a Mayan woman and a Mexican general. She is said to have been Mayan Dutch, and though I'm not exactly sure where her Dutch ancestry fits in, apparently it contributed to her fiery red hair. Pulling together accounts of her life are difficult, since her birth year is speculated and even her death year is uncertain. Possibly a girl raised in a convent who was incensed over taxes, it is agreed she was a landowner in southern Mexico. Her father had been part of an attempted coup against Porfirio Diaz around 1900. After his death, Margarita would take up his cause as her own. Margarita was a Zapanista, a follower of Zapata, and an advocate for land reform. When she was abandoned by the men of her town during the conflict, Margarita decided to take matters into her own hands. She raised an army of 1,000 people in only two months. Let that sink in. 
She was an expert writer and shooter, leading her forces through the state of Morelos in a series of violent looting raids through Tabasco and Chiapas in 1910. Carrying a bloody machete into battle, Margarita was such a terrifying force and had such a reputation for burning, looting, and slaughter that when the governor of Guerrero heard her forces were approaching, he did the only logical thing a governor would do. He locked himself in a shipping crate and had himself smuggled out of the city to avoid her. In addition to her famed beauty, she was said to be a fearless rider in battle. Margarita was highly respected by Zapata, serving as one of his trusted officers. Some argue that Zapata had tried to recruit her and yet was so disrespectful that Margarita cut off the ears of the men he sent. As one does... Overall, if she was not one of his commanders, as it is believed to be, it is said Zabata highly esteemed her abilities as a soldier. Margarita was passionate and a skilled dancer, who was quoted in her desire to personally decapitate Diaz. When all but one city in the state of Morela rose up against the Federalists, she and several other female commanders fought to hold the territory from the rooftops of Yanterbe City. Even after she was shot in the arm and her troops were forced to flee the barricades, Margarita's forces drove out the Federalists. Her guerrilla force was a serious threat to the Federalist efforts in southern Mexico. But her efforts would earn her the titles of Mexico's Joan of Arc, La Neri, Pepita, and most famously, the Rebel Queen of Morelos. That one's my favorite. A little, little history hint, by the way. If someone is referred to as a Joan of Arc, they absolutely are a lasting inspiration. And more likely than not, they're probably a martyr. Eventually, Margarita was executed. Her reputation for violence against the Federalists gives me a pretty good idea of why. But who gave the order, when she was executed, and where she was buried remains a mystery even to this day. No one even knows the year of her death. This was obviously a tumultuous and dangerous time for women. The army's ranks of female caregivers, who had not elected to follow their husbands and brothers into war, were often kidnapped or pressured into service. Risk of assault was high, and yet so much of the logistical survival of these revolutionaries was owed to the women and children who literally kept them alive and fed. In 1916, in Parallel Chihuahua, the state, not the uh, bougie dogs from the movie, uh, that one Disney movie. If anyone here watched Beverly Hills Chihuahua like I did, I'm sorry for your trauma. We'll hold a group therapy session after this. So the town's men refused to fight the invading U.S. forces who were coming to intervene on Diaz's behalf. You heard me right. The U.S. forces actually did invade Mexico to help hunt Pancho Villa, to no avail, and even occupied the city of Veracruz for a time. Women and children of the town were not having this, and under the leadership of 12-year-old Elisa Grisen Zambrano, you heard me right, 12 years old, they went out to face the U.S. Army. They met Major Frank Tompkins' forces at the town borders with rifles and sticks. They were so fierce that they forced the Major to retreat with his net men, but not before reportedly getting him to cry, Viva Mexico, Viva Villa. Women get stuff done, guys. 
like power move uno reverse card the fact that this 12 year old told this major a career stifling embarrassment this is the kind of story we love on her story this is what we love Instead of being grateful for their caregivers, the revolutionaries often disrespected and endangered the women keeping them alive. When women and children were traveling around along the trains with the male soldiers, men were permitted to sit inside the train while women and children clung to the rooftops of the train cars. Still, they stayed, despite overt mistreatment by male comrades and commanders. Panchovia vehemently objected to women participating as soldiers, believed it was hurting the reputation and effectiveness of the army. In 1916, when one woman in a crowd of soldaderas fired at him, Villa ordered his men to attack all 90 soldaderas. Zabata was much more open to having female combatants. But that did not stop many women from working and hating Villa. One badass woman who hated Villa was Petra Herrera, badass of the century, who for a time disguised herself as a man named Pedro Herrera. She was a demolitions expert and a markswoman, and was especially good at blowing up bridges. As a man, Petra was eligible for battlefield promotions, but she eventually started wearing her hair down in long braids and resumed her identity as Petra. Pancho Villa made her a captain of 200 men, which she would lead into battle at the sack of Teron. This decisive victory would provide much-needed supplies and artillery to the war effort. Yet Betra was not promoted and hardly accredited to the victory. Although Via took nearly all the credit, eyewitness accounts attribute the campaign's success to Petra. Furious at Via, Petra began an all-female brigade. It's estimated to have had 300 to 400 women, with some sources ranging up to 1,000. According to an article by Jason Poore about her life, Petra was very protective over her soldiers and would stay up late at night just to shoot any man sneaking in or out of her camp. She did not mess around. Petra would only ever be promoted to colonel, and eventually her brigade would be disbanded, disappearing into the shrouds of history. Petra eventually took on the role of spy, but died after several bullet wounds sustained from a group of drunk men while she was bartending. So I've heard that inserting one's own opinion into a historical context is wrong, but that's all I do in this show. Petra deserved better. That's, she did. We're not even arguing that. Oddly enough, there was one soldadera who Villa respected. Colonel Maria Quinteros de Meras fought from 1910 to 1913 in 10 battles, earning her position as a high-ranking officer after outshooting all her male comrades. Like many women fighting in the revolution, Maria would wear the masculine khaki uniform and cartridge belts around camp and during battle. Maria was so skilled at firearms, her fellow soldiers and even newspapers began to believe she had supernatural powers, protecting her in firefights and attributing her to her godlike marksmanship. Maria and her husband would fight for the revolution for three years and would refuse payment from Villa for their services. These soldaderas went beyond battlefield heroics. They were scholars, espionage artists, as well as tacticians. Activist and feminist writer Juana Belin Gutierrez de Mendoza, a proud advocate for democracy in the face of Diaz and the Catholic Church, would face prison several times for her writing insisting Mexicans fight for their voice in government. 
She started publishing these writings as early as 1901, years before the revolution. She did fight alongside Zapata, who she considered the rightful ruler of Mexico, and eventually returned to writing to establish her own press after Zapata was murdered in 1919 by ideological rival, President Benestuanzo Carranza. Flores de Andrade was a spy who grew up on her grandparents' estate in Chihuahua, Mexico. When she came into control of the estate, much to the anger of her family, Flores declared all the farmhands' debts forgiven and insisted on dividing up the property, letting them stay without paying rent. This is a college student's dream. Marrying a German man and not long after widowed, Flores had six children and became activist in feminist and secret society circles, hell-bent on driving out Diaz. Not only did Diaz catch wind of what they were doing, the U.S. government who supported him did as well. When on a mission across the border into Texas, Flores had to shake two rangers following her by taking them to a festival and getting them drunk and dumping them on the steps of City Hall before fleeing. She was eventually captured by the border by a U.S. colonel who had been ordered to kill her. He was desperately trying to stall her execution, though Flores refused to say she was anything other than a Mexican woman and a revolutionary, insisting they shoot her now before she lost her courage. Badass. When some stupid corporal insisted they kill her before their general arrived and found they had disobeyed his order, Flores snatched the colonel's rifle and ordered his men to stand down. Stealing their guns, Flores sailed across for Mexico before she was recaptured. The next day, as a prisoner in Fort Bliss, U.S. President Howard Taft sent a notice to free her at once. Flores was returned to Mexico, where she fought for the education of her six children through connections in revolutionary leadership. I don't, I don't even know what to do with that. That's just epic, I guess? Power move? These soraderas, be they combatants or caretakers, are often remembered as Adelitas. Similar to Rosie the Riveter, the personified character of Adelita was a popular symbol and a rallying cry for revolution. Stylized art depicts her as a gorgeous woman with ammunition slung over her shoulder, and the term encompasses the contributions of women who partook in reshaping Mexico, especially popular for the nurses caring for wounded soldiers. The first Adelita is said to have been Adela Velarde Perez. Born on September 8, 1900, she was just 13 when she started studying medicine against her father's wishes, and only 15 when she joined the army as a nurse. She traveled across Mexico at some of the most decisive campaigns of her revolution, and was a nurse throughout the war. She is said to have been the very first soldadera. She received many advances from soldiers, but had only one love. He was eventually killed in the revolution, and their child died later on in World War II. Through all these tragedies, Adela persevered, going on to fight in the revolution, and eventually moved to Mexico City as a typist, marrying at age 65. She died in 1971 and is now buried in Del Rio, Texas. The stories of most soldaderas, like Adela, have been partially or completely lost, while the symbol of Adelita has become hypersexualized depiction of women who participated in the war effort. It took decades for these women to be acknowledged for their contributions and receive their pensions, and yet now, more than ever, their stories matter. As we close out today's episode, I know, short, but it's okay. I'll be here again next week. 
I encourage you to seek out the stories of powerful women in your family and community. They may be right in front of you, tucked away in history books, or on some godforsaken corner of the internet. But those stories are out there, and they are here to teach us as well as inspire us. I want to thank everyone who listened today. I can't wait to see you next week for another woman who made her story. Thank you.